weekend racing. It's time to recap it. And who better to do it than Michael New Magic? Two bros slash pros who cover the highs and lows of racing around the globe on every one of the shows. Real fans look forward to these guys in their last thoughts because they know they're not talking out of their royal ascot. What they say makes sense. So ladies and gents, sit back and relax as Blinkers Off presents The Magic Mike Show. Where you hear the experts speak. The Magic Mike Show. Tune into the show every week. The Magic Mike Show. You can trust the show is the bomb because it's being brought to you by RacingDudes.com. What's up, everybody? I'm Magic. And I'm Mike. And this is The Magic Mike Show, episode 380. Mr. Samich. Belmont Huzzah! Hey now, this is exciting, baby. Uh, Belmont Stakes Racing Festival. This weekend is upon us. Uh, Thursday has been off to an auspicious start at Belmont Park. Mike, you were telling me just before we went. The reason we're late today, we always have a good excuse. Today's is because Mike was explaining just the details of the stupidity of what happened with the turf race. Uh, that's part of the pick four and pick five. Do you want to just give us a quick recap here since the pick five is about to start? Yeah, sure. So they're about to run, start the pick five. And, you know, there was some rain this morning. So we decided to take a couple races off the turf. But one of the ones you left on was a pretty darn good race. It had a very competitive race. Um, it was the it was going to be the, the seventh on the card today at Belmont. You got Baby Blythe coming back, who was a very good horse last year, trying to get her three-year-old, four-year-old season kicked off. And just incompetency here. So you have four horses that end up scratching, not because of the turf being yielding, but because they were not administered Lasix between 145 and 215. And it resulted in now a match race, a two-horse field. Ironically, they're two very good horses. It should be kind of fun. You've got uh, investment strategy for Chad Brown with Flavian Pratt aboard, and you have Baby Blythe. For Shug McGay with Luis Saez aboard, they were the two morning line favorites, so it would be fun to see them bang heads. But it was actually a really interesting race because you had Lone Speed in the eight that was 15 to one. You had two Clements in there, the five and the nine, who I thought were both playable. I was going to fade Baby Blythe, but now you're kind of like, okay, what do you do here? So I, I singled the one in my pick five just to say I'm not going to play both of them in a two-horse field. But we're going to see a match race on the grass at Belmont two days before the, 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 the Belmont Stakes in which they took two races off the turf today. Like It's just so wild that they're going to do this, that it's going to happen. Ah, uh, that's horse racing. It's, there's, yeah. Anyways, hey, you know what? Speaking of which, Belmont, we're going to move forward from that, the travesty, because we're looking at the, uh, I keep wanting to say late. It's not the late pick five. There is actually, mm-hmm. the late pick five ends with the two races after the Belmont. I'm calling it the Belmont Stakes pick five because it's all grade ones. It's races seven through 11, and it ends in the Belmont Stakes. This is a fun sequence, Mike. Uh, you've got the 50-cent minimum. It's the 18.5% takeout, which is normal for Naira. But what's cool, there's no carryover. This baby is paying out at the end of this sequence. So when the Belmont's over, the whole pool gets paid out. So there's no carryover. Worry about that. We have the two Breeders' Cup winning your in races in this as well. So it's going to be exciting. We have some differing opinions. You ready to talk about it? I'm excited to talk about this one. I mean, we agree on one, and then it's just wild for the last four races. This is going to be a good uh, one. Things go off the rail real fast, but we're not going off the rails. We're over it. Let's get into Belmont, buddy. Riders up. (laughs) 
What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Samich coming at you here. And today we're excited to talk about a new partnership over RacingDudes.com, BetPTC. Uh, we just added, went into a partnership with them, allowing our users to be able to get not only a $200 sign-up bonus after they bet $750 on the site, but also a rebate. Aaron, you've been using BetPTC. Tell us a little bit about the rebate that you can get. Yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic. You get up to 4% on your win wagers, 8% on, on exotics. And the great thing about it is with a lot of rebates, well, you don't get them at all with some. And with some, it's, it takes a while for it to hit your account. Not with BetPTC. Immediately when that race goes official, A, you're going to get your payout, hopefully, because you've cashed your bet. But B, that rebate hits your account immediately. So if you bet 100 bucks on a race, guess what? Or, or let's say a win. You're going to have $4 in your account immediately when that race goes official. And like I said, up to 8% for exotics. It's pretty awesome. Make sure you check to make sure your state's eligible, eligible for both that PTC and the rebate since it does vary from state to state. If you're looking to sign up and take advantage of a $200 bonus, just click on this sign up now button here at betptc.com. Uh, make sure you enter out, enter in all your information, scroll down to the bottom, and make sure you include, include promo code DUDES when you're signing up to be able to get a $200 bonus after betting $750. That gets deposited right into your account. And then you're eligible to get rebates back as well. So make sure you give it, uh, give check out that PTC and give them a shot to see if they can earn your business. Mike, you can use that $200 new member bonus on the Belmont Stakes, including if you want to, uh, well, the race itself, but the Belmont Stakes Racing Festival. And what better way to spend that extra $200? Get the inside track to the Belmont Stakes Wagering Guide, available now at RacingDudes.com. Kicking off the first leg of the Belmont Stakes pick five, Mike. Race seven is the Ogden Phipps Stakes. You've got five older Phillies and Mares going to mile on the 16th on the main track. The Breeders' Cup went in here in for the Diss staff, and you and I are both going to single the defending champ, Latruska. She drew the rail. Uh, you know she's going to go to the front right away. It's very hard to build a legitimate case for her losing this race. Yeah, I mean, we're going to start out the show with some harmony. We're going to end with some chaos, and the harmony here is Latruska. I, I, look, this is probably my second best opinion on the entire day i mean i think speak of the devil is going to roll but I, I think you're going to get a short price and speak of the devil i think you might get six to five seven to five on latruska this is going to be one of my win bets just straight up i mean i i love her when she gets the lead that's exactly what's going to happen here i mean there isn't any other speed in this spot and we've seen what happens when latruska gets loose it's just it's a problem uh, i guess search results could try and go with her but i just I don't see search results trying to push it going a mile and 16 stretching out for the first time. So I expect Latruska is able to get the lead early. She can handle Belmont. That's not an issue. She can handle the distance. That's not an issue. She loves to win. I mean, she's 19 for 25 lifetime. I like her a lot in this spot. And I'm hoping that because you have Clarier, because you have Malathat, you get a legit price on Latruska. And the last thing I want to mention here is don't forget that IRAD is on search results. The only person that could really push Jose on Latruska is Irad on search results. And we've seen it a lot of times at Belmont when they are the two pace, they're going to let one go and the other's going to run in second. And, and I expect that that's what we're going to see here. Latruska's going to go to the lead. Search results going to sit in second, try and get her down the lane. I don't think she's good enough. I think Latruska rolls here. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, it, it's just. For me, I guess the biggest question is uh, what her odds were going to be because Catherine Page brings up a great question. Point: No way Latrusco will be over even money. You do have Malathat at five to two and Clary at three to one. Will there be enough money attracted to those two that we get even money at Latrusco? Are we looking at four to five? I mean, the morning line has me optimistic. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what it actually is on race day. I mean, the lower she drops, obviously, the less I'm going to bet on it. I, I am going to try and play some pick threes through her, some pick uh, it, just to, with both starting and having her as a middle leg, because I do think there's some prices you can get around her. Um, mm -hmm. 
So hopefully we can find some way to make some value or get some value on Latruska over even money, I think, is a, is a gift in this spot. We'll see what actually ends up happening. Malafat should take money. I expect Clary to take some. I think three to one's probably a little low. I wouldn't be shocked if search results is actually your third choice. Um, but hopefully we get some some money flowing in on some other horses here so we get a decent price. And by decent, I mean anything over even money on Latruska. Yeah, I, frankly, even money in this field, Davey, yes, hammer. Hammer, 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 even money or better Latruska here is just the pace advantage. We're, I mean, we're going to mile on the 16th. You could make up a little bit of a case for if they're going to mile on a quarter for Malathat or Clarier, um, if they're going shorter search results because it seems like she's, you know, this is still one turn at Belmont. So you could say that search results if they're going shorter, but the Latruska, this just seems like a, such a great fit for her here. Um, I think we've made all the points that we can make from here. Uh, I do want to go back to something in the chat, JW. What do you think of these small fields? Uh, you know, two things, Catherine, we agree with you. Quality over quantity is a good thing, but also, again, hammer. You're going to see Mike and I really press our opinions. Uh, I have a ticket for a dollar that uh, denomination that's going to cost 30 total. Mike's got a $2 ticket that's going to cost $50 total, which would be 25 if it was a dollar. So, we're both very short in some spots and very heavy in some others. You can probably guess where we're going to go short and heavy, uh, <laughs> but that's the answer for that one. Catherine's going to guess Latruska three to five, Malathat six to five. Unfortunately, that seems too realistic. <laughs> I think she'll be a little higher than three to five. I'd be surprised if she gets that low because I just I expect Malathat's going to take quite a bit of money. I think she's a clear second choice. I think Clarier and search results both take money. I mean, Bonnie South probably floats up a little bit, but I, I think you're going to see some money rolling on all the outside three. Let's move on to the second leg of the Belmont Stakes. Pick five, race eight is the Jiper for 13 older horses sprinting six furlongs on the outer turf course. This is a British Cup winning year in four. You guessed it, the turf sprint. The five, Arrest Me Red, is exiting a really strong win on Kentucky Oaks Day in the grade two Churchill Downs turf sprint. He was a 5-2 to favorite when he went off that day. 5-2 to favorite here on the morning line from David Aragona. It's the same price, but Mike Samich, you're fading him. Yeah, look... I feel like you kind of have to take your stands where you're going to take your stands. And so because of that, I'm going to, I'm going to use Robesti Red here, but I'm not going to use the favorite when we get to another turf race. I'm actually going almost all prices in the other turf race. Uh, Robesti Red ran so well in Churchill. I wasn't a huge fan of him. I had him third in that spot. I think he's going to be able to run well again here. Um, and I, I just, there's a lot of speed in here. And that I think is the biggest issue for Arrest Me Red is that there's going to be a ton of pace pressure. Now, he kind of sat a little bit off the pace at Churchill, which I think helped him out quite a bit. But there is a ton of pace pressure in here. They're going to be going very fast up front. And right now, you don't want to be on the lead on the turf course at Belmont. I've been watching today. The early races are kind of winding up with what we've seen the last couple of weeks. Uh, you want to be sitting decently far back. I mean, you had a horse at 17 to one come from last in the first turf race and just miss at the wire. Um, and in these turf sprints, it's been even more so where you want to be coming from a little bit further back versus being right close to the lead. Arrest me bad is going to be a little bit against that track bias, assuming it stays the same into this weekend. Uh, and it means that I'm going to take some shots and spread out here. For me, I I'm going to go for a big bomb. I really like the 10 horse smoking Jay who's sitting on the morning line at 15 to one. He's entered on, in the 11th race of Churchill, or the 10th race of Churchill as well on the 11th. So he may not end up shipping in for this race. I have not heard whether or not it's going to be here or Churchill that he's running. But, man, I, I love the progression that we've seen from this four-year-old now. This horse was getting consistently better in his three-year-old season. You saw him improving very slowly, very slowly, very slowly. Runs really well in the last race of his three-year-old season at Gulfstream. Comes back first off the layoff. 
and runs a monster effort right behind Karatari, who we both respect the heck out of. Now we're getting to six furlongs, which I think is a better distance for Smoking Jay than the five furlongs we just saw. You know that he has a win over this Belmont turf course going six furlongs in a stakes race, actually at 15 to one. So love that. Now we're getting second off the layoff as a four-year-old, one of my biggest improvement angles. The fact, if he does ship into this race, it is a huge vote of confidence for this horse. I think he's live, ready to roll, gets the right trip, and I love the 15 to one price. Uh, that is a, a a big swing. I I this is a horse that I actually had considered at one point if I was going to go a little deeper here was going to use. I at this point I'm thinking he's probably going to go to Churchill because he's nine to two second choice. He just did a workout at Keeneland not that long ago. If he runs fifteen to one, you're going to get a good price on him here. I think that's a good spot to use in the Churchill race. That's a much shorter price. Uh, Arrest Me Red was my top pick here. It's it's pretty chalky, but I mean he looked like the top turf sprinter in America in that race at Churchill Downs. I can say that because Golden Pal is currently in England for Ascot. So currently right now, Arrest Me Red best turf sprinter in America until Karatari comes back for his second start, but. I don't need to talk too much about him. It's Wesley Ward. It's Irarities Jr. Just watch the Churchill Downs turf sprint. He's a, he's a good horse. Um, next up for me, I just realized when I was looking at the guide, um, I misspelled his name. Uh, he's actually Scuttle Buzz. I put Scuttle Butt in, in the guide. <laughs> uh, I'm going to blame that on being a dad. But the eight horse, Scuttle Buzz or Scuttle Butt, however you want to talk about him. Uh, this is a horse who is he's a New York bred with Rudy Rod, but he's a son of the factory. I know you love. He's won three straight turf sprints. He's won four of his last five, all of those being turf sprints. That one race that he lost, uh, I watched the replay. It says bumped at the break and anchored. I was like, what does that mean? It means he got hit and Jose Lascano just went yank on the reins. And that's why Jose Lascano hasn't ridden this horse since then. Uh, Manny Franco jumped aboard, got the win, and then Castellano got two wins, including the elusive quality. And I like that we get a career-best effort in a stakes debut, first start off of a layoff, first start at age five. And now we're moving forward. We're cutting back a little bit to a distance where he is six for eight lifetime and has gotten the other two, uh, the two defeats. He's both second. He's three for six lifetime over the Belmont Park turf with two seconds. I think he's drawn perfectly to sit in his preferred spot, which is mid pack. He's going to be wide and be able to get a clear run down the stretch. Um, I think all systems are go for him here. I was actually pretty surprised with him being six to one that you didn't use him. Yeah, look, this is the lot deeper waters, uh, and that's that's the main issue. I mean, playing Belmont, I, I know a lot of the horses he's run against. Therapist, not that great of a turf sprinter, finished second in that race that you were referencing. Artemis City Limits lost at one to two today, turf sprinting. I mean, it's just the, the horses that he is that he's have strung these wins together against aren't horses that I would really consider even thinking about playing in a race like this. And when you have horses like Arrest Me Red, when you have horses like Casa Creek, when you have horses like Gregorian Chant and Smoking Jay and all the other that I think you can get, uh, have a better chance at winning, you're getting similar prices on a lot of those. To me, it's like this is this is a little bit too big of a step up for Scuttlebuzz. Um, I, if he improves off that last race, he's going he's gonna to be tough. I just, I'm not sure that A, that buyer is completely accurate. The numbers should come back completely accurate from it. And B, it's a lot tougher here. So we'll, we'll see if he's able to, to kind of take a step forward. Um, got a lot of Casa Creed talk in the chat. I know. That's one of my favorite. One of my favorite horses. He is the defending champion. He is legitimately the defending champion, whether or not I used him. (laughs) I I mean, this is this is a horse that we've talked about. I cannot even tell you how many times on this show. Uh, It's amazing just what he has done for the Bill Mop Barn. You look at all the different grade ones that he's been in, uh, grade twos and grade threes as well, obviously. But won the Jiper last year. It sets up wonderfully for Casa Creed. I mean, I'm I'm using him on my ticket. The big question here is whether or not. He's going to be bounced from coming overseas. I know that's why you left him off. That's a consistent angle for you. 
I trust Mott, though. And Mott is one of those trainers where he's not going to run a horse if he doesn't think the horse is ready. The Jiper also is a target for this horse, right? This is this is his home's track sprinting. Once they cut him back to sprinting, this is one of those races that they want him in. If he can replicate some of those past efforts at Belmont, he fits 100% in here. And the 92 price, I think, is, is pretty generous on a horse that has a win over the track at the distance in this race, has faced this level of horses for the last 10 to 11 starts. If Casa Creed is right and all systems are go, he's a big-time threat to win this race. You nailed it. It's a. I'm just playing him off of the uh, the Dubai and the the overseas effort. And and horses. Every horse is very different here. So I'm not trying to say this is exactly what will happen. But Bill Mott with the horse that we uh, in a race that we'll talk about later, Channel Maker. Um, he went overseas last year and did what Casa Creed did, where he tried to run at King at uh, Saudi Arabia and then at Maidan. And then he was just shit all of 2021. And then he comes back his first start in 2022 and wins. Casa Creed, I'm not saying I wish that on him. I think this horse is a really good shot to get second or third or fourth. I just, that's a big question mark for me coming back from that layoff. And I, we'll be, let's be honest. I'm not the Casa Creed fanboy that you are. You will love to use Casa Creed. I am always very, very tepid about using him here, but he is a defending champion. Um, you know, he came into this race last year off of winning the elusive quality, which is what Scuttlebuzz won. But, uh, you know, different scenarios there. I think uh, who he, yeah, you Casa Creed beat front run the Fed in value proposition. That's already better than most of who uh, the other horse was beating. And it, one of the things that, one of, that gave me a little confidence in Casa Creed coming back, Bill Mott's not a big time workout guy. You got a bullet work. And that, that's not just a like mess around bullet work. He bulleted with 107 horses working that day, going 47 and one for four furlongs, and then came back on June 5th and went 47 and four. It was the third best workout of 117. So he's working well in the morning and Mott's not someone who usually cranks him up in the morning. So this horse is doing it by himself. That gives me a little less anxiety around coming back from overseas. I, uh, I'm, I'll tell you what, I'll give him, if I lose somebody here from a scratch, which is, it's likely because there's 13 horses trying to go in a turf sprint, um, I'll give him a second look there. I do love that Saez is going to ride him, and Saez is actually, you know, you look, Alvarado was the rider for forever before, and then Saez doesn't even start riding him until he's overseas, so Saez picking, keeping them out, uh, choosing to ride this horse is a good sign. Let's talk about, uh, somebody's asking about it in the chat, and this is the other one we agree with, no love for gear jockey. Don't worry. We were seeing we're that. We both love the 12 gear, horse gear jockey. Uh, he was third up for me. What about you? Yeah, I mean, gear jockey was my, uh, I think it was my second pick, second or third pick, one of the two. Um, yeah, second. I, yeah, you, you go back and you look at that, that turf sprint. He did have to steady in that race. He had, didn't get the trip that you'd necessarily want. But what I like about gear jockey, again, is going back to the distance here. I think six furlongs is better than five or five and a half for gear jockey. He had some success going even longer than that. Again, ton of speed in here. This is going to set up for someone to come from off the pace. That is exactly what gear jockey wants to do. But what I like about gear jockey is he's got that tactical speed, too. So he can sit two, three, four lengths off the lead, make a big time move around the turn and be able to get the job done. So for me, gear jockey is a really logical horse. I think you're getting a little bit better of a price because of that last race. I think a resting red is going to get over bet because of that last race. I think gear jockey and Gregorian Champ is, are both going to be a little bit better prices than what, what I, they should be in this spot. Um, and I'm going to use end up using both of those. But gear jockey specifically, one for one at the distance. I think he's going to like the Belmont turns, that wide sweeping turn quite a bit. He's never run over the track, but we'll see what, what ends up happening there. But he makes he's a really logical horse in my mind to use here. And I, I like the six to one price. I think we're gonna get every bit of it. 
Yeah, uh, I was looking at this thinking, man, the, the year jockey's form. It's if you look at just the form, like, man, what can we get the year jockey from last year? But especially the uh, the Churchill Downs Turf Sprint Stakes, uh, he ran really well in that in that spot, and and you, he very well should have hit the board. He missed second by a nose and a head. So if you're saying he's a nose and a head away from second to arrest me, Red, who I'm is my top pick, is the Morningline favorite, and you're even using defensively. Yeah, give us six to one on this. It's it's gonna be a really nice price. He's just a consistent horse too. You always can trust him to show up and give his best effort. Uh except for the Breeders' Cup turf sprint, but that's Delmar turf sprinting is, is really effing weird. So we don't have to focus on that anymore. Um I saw somebody else. We'll focus on your horse and then we'll go back to my last ones here. Uh Chris was calling out your last horse that we can talk about here, the thirteen Gregorian champ. Yeah, I, I think this horse is sitting on a big effort. And again, I'm going to go back to that six, six furlong distance. When he was in, at Santa Anita, he was doing very well going down the hill at six and a half. He was doing very well going around one turn at six. That's what he was specializing in. He wants to have a little bit more distance and then absolutely fire off it. Uh, really cool horse. He went even longer than that originally, uh, going a mile, a mile, 16th, even went, ran in a mile and a half race before cutting back to turf sprinting. Reeled off three straight wins at six furlongs at Santa Anita, including the grade three San Simeon. Uh, ran okay in the Jiper, but really was kind of an odd race from him last year. For some reason, he was sitting in second, a half length off. A twenty-two. It was just like, what are we doing here? The switch to Rosario, and I'll bang on Rosario all the time. The switch to Rosario fits Gregorian Chance style very well. He wants to have that one big run, come from off the pace. I kind of like the 13 post. Because you're not going to get in trouble in this race. You could see some serious trouble, especially if you try and ride the rail. Um, I think Rosario is going to have this horse making a huge run around the far turn. And Gregory Chant ran sneaky good in that Churchill race, too. He was buried on the rail, which was not great. Um, and it tried to kind of come up the rail. Looked like he had a shot and just couldn't keep up with a resting red late. Again, 8-1. to one, That's a good price on this horse. I think you can find a lot of different prices if you like him in here. Um, so I'm going to go end up going 5 deep here. I'm going to use the 4, the 5, the 10 the 12 and the 13. Excuse me. A Gregorian chant was, a, I kept like flip flopping. I told you I kept having different iterations in my ticket before we got on the show. And I kept flip flopping with him. Eventually I was like, I can't, I can't imagine that a California turf sprinter comes in and beats all of these horses to win the grade one Jiper. I just can't, I can't do it. It's not something I believe in. Um, I don't think that the class by that. I mean, I don't think the class he's been facing was that solid? Now, that turf sprint effort is what was making me flip-flop back and forth because I was like, well, okay, he's, he's facing California horses. He's not always being the one time he comes to Belmont before he runs trash. But great point, not his preferred running style. The Rosario switch, is, it, it's, it's tricky because, uh, you know, there, there, there's maybe some behind-the-scenes stuff with, with his jockey agent and some other former jockey agents, and maybe they know some stuff, and maybe, maybe they're linking up with this horse. So there could be a little bit of that going on as well, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean I- – We'll see. I also look. I I was part of Slam Dunk for a while. I know Nick Casado. This is a Slam Dunk horse. They're not shipping this horse to Kentucky and then New York if they don't think he's got a legit shot at winning that race. You got to respect Slam Dunk when they ship. They've they've got big prices home in the past. The fact that they ran, they're running him here after what happened at Churchill tells me they believe he fits with these horses. I'll go through my two uh, last horses here quick. The number nine, Philo Di Ariana, for me. Uh, I'm going to give this horse one more shot. It's interesting that he shows up here because he's got that, that Woodbine win where it's, it's impressive visually, but it's Woodbine. You kind of think what's going on. Goes to Keeneland and faces a lot of horses of this caliber. Gear jockeys, their golden pal. A lot of horses, uh, a solid race, that Shaker Town field. And just doesn't run very well at all. And you can't really find a super solid excuse other than was probably in over his head. But why, if that was the case, 
with Mark Cassie, who is a Hall of Fame trainer for a reason, and Gary Barber, who is probably the sharpest or, or top two or three sharpest owners in horse racing, why would they push this horse into a grade one, a race that they've had you know, success with with Got Stormy and, and they've won these Breeders' Cup one-year in races in the past? Why would they do that with this horse if he wasn't able to do it? I think that that race at Keeneland, for whatever reason, was just a bad effort for him. Um, he didn't like having to run between horses. It seemed like he got pretty uncomfortable about that. He's drawn out farther here. Jose Ortiz, I don't expect him to push him uh, to be as close forwardly early on. Um, his races in Brazil, I watched some of them. It's, it's hard to see the, grain, the footage a little grainy, but uh, you know, it seems like he, when he's asked to go, he can go. So if Jose Ortiz can get the right trip for this horse at 20 to 1, it feels like this horse is here because they believe he actually has the talent. Yeah, I mean, I used him against Golden Powell last time, so I don't, I don't hate it. Um, the fractions are kind of funky in that Woodbine race. I don't really believe that they went twenty three forty four, and then one hundred seven because that's just it's a little odd. Um, so I, I'm not really sure what to make of that Woodbine race. The, the Shaker Town was just too bad for me to believe. I mean, like they, she just kind of stopped, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's just all that happened, and so I'm a little concerned that that. This is a tough spot, but you had Saez who picks up the mount and then Ortiz that picks up the mount. So clearly there is some buzz on the jockey side about this horse as well. So 20 to one, I don't, I don't hate throwing it on there. And uh, by the way, the horse that was second uh, in that Woodbine race, Gray's Fable, forgot about this, won the opening verse stakes on Thurby. Yeah. At Churchill Downs. So uh, that, you know, ended up being a future uh, turf route stakes winner there. Last horse for me, the number three, True Valor for Graham Motion and Fergal Lynch. Uh, this horse... <laughs> Comes back from over a year away, 13 months away, and goes into a turf sprint, stakes at Laurel Park, and goes gate to wire and wins. This horse had no business winning that race. I know it was Laurel Park, but that was kind of a, a, a prelude before you get to uh, Preakness weekend at Pimlico. And if you look at this horse's back class, when Graham Motion took over, which is so Cutter Racing had this horse until Simon Callahan stopped being the trainer. Larry Johnson buys this horse, uh, sends it to Graham Motion. Grand Motion figures out after two starts, maybe this horse is best sprinting. Boom. Suddenly this horse is looking like a million bucks again in his winning race. Uh, goes to Aqueduct, has an all right race there. Uh, almost wins a grade two race at Santa Anita. Um, ends up losing by less than a length. Then they go, you know what? We're going to take this horse. We're going to go to Maidan. Joel Rosario rides. And then we just don't see the horse again for a long time until he returns. At 12 to 1, second off of the layoff, they've got this horse in training for a reason, Mike. And in Grand Motion, just like Mark Cassie, he's not an idiot. He's not going to do this just for the shits and giggles to say he's got the horse in the race. Yeah, you're right. He wouldn't do it just for shits and giggles. But I, I just, I, I, I heard a lot of people make a case for this horse. This oh, seems to be like the wise guy horse. Um, shit. And, and for me, it's just like, ah, no thanks. A guy, I, I don't. There's not a single race on the page that wins this race. So you're having to have an eight-year-old run their career best race turf sprinting to win a Grade One and in. You're getting twelve to one. It's just like, yeah, I'll, I'll pass. I'll, I'll let, I'll let Truval or Vogel or whatever it is beat me. Especially since I think you're going to end up getting like eight to one. Like this, this horse has been buzzed up and down right now. And so, for me, I'm just going to pass on this one and let it beat me. Don't, I don't love the news that it's being buzzed about. And it's not, not good buzz. Hey, anyways, let's move on. We've talked about pretty much every horse in this race. Uh, so if we didn't talk about your horse. They're probably going to win the third leg of the Belmont Stakes Pick 5, Race 9. This is the Grade 1 Metropolitan Handicap, a.k.a. that Met Mile. Five older horses going a mile on the main track. This is a British Cup winning year in for the Dirt Mile. Mike Samich, flight line, on the rail, 3-5, to five, morning line. Uh, he's... 
I'm not going to use this horse. I will make my case for that later. But just briefly, in case people don't know why Flightline is three to five such a heavy favorite, explain to them Flightline. Well, Flightline's the most talented horse in training right now outside of maybe life is good. Uh, he doesn't get to the racetrack very often, and that would be the biggest knock on Flightline and, and his talent. But uh, go back and watch any of his races. I mean, not just the Malibu. You go back and watch his maiden special weight. He is a monster. You go back and you watch the $40,000 optional race he runs in. Monster. You go back and you watch the Malibu monster and he didn't even break clean in the malibu and he dusted that field no one's ever been within 10 lengths of this horse when he is right he is a beast i mean and it's like we talk about high cruising speed his high cruising speed is the fastest i've ever seen in a racehorse well that's probably that's an exaggeration is the fastest i've seen in a really long time in a racehorse he is just so quick and so comfortable he can go 22 44 and be okay like he, it's amazing to watch this horse run. We've never seen the bottom of it. I think Flightline is, when Flightline's in a race, I'm not going to try and beat Flightline, especially when no one can press him, right? And there is no one in this field that can press him. He is going to be able to go 22 and change, 45 and change, and that's slow for Flightline. The one concern is the Sadler ship. That's it, right? And, and if you want to say, okay, Sadler can't ship, but I'm not going to play Sadler three to five shipping, I get it. I mean, that, that to me is the one argument you can make against Flightline. Other than that, I'm not really sure how you make the argument that Speaker's Corner is better than him, especially when Speaker's Corner kind of needs the lead and Speaker's Corner is slower than Flightline. So when you have two horses, and I think of like life is good and Nick's go, when you have two horses that both need the lead, whoever gets out to the lead ends up winning and the other one ends up not running in second even. I think you're going to see Flightline absolutely dust Speaker's Corner early. I would be not be surprised if it's Happy Saver or Lowell West ends up running second in this race. And you see Speaker's Corner back up off that. Speaker's Corner has been absolutely wonderful this year. It's just a completely different scenario here for Speaker's Corner. So I'm going to single Flightline here. And I want to just bring this up real quick because Kevin asked this question. Is it a better strategy to go narrow here because everyone else will be going deep in the Maltese? Specifically, he was referencing the turf race. Mm -hmm. Right. Magic's playing a dollar ticket. I'm playing a five dollar ticket or two dollar ticket. My two dollar ticket has three singles. I'm spreading the two logical spread races. I will also most likely play a five dollar ticket where I'll just use my top two picks in those two spread races. And if I'm right, I'll have a seven dollar pick five versus just the two dollar one. For this show's purposes, I'm just doing the, the, the two dollar pick five ticket. But you generally that is a good idea to be contrarian in which races you spread and which you don't. The problem with this specific card, in my mind, of being contrarian there, you got to like prices in the races that you're trying to spread in to beat a flight line, to beat a speaker's corner. And if you're going to use flight line or speaker's corner, you shouldn't be using the other one. You should only be using one of the two horses when their odds are like this. So you can make an argument that maybe you spread in the Belmont because people won't spread there, although I think people probably are, and I, I don't think you need to. Um, I think it's tough to spread in the Latruska race. So in this case, it, it, if you want to be full contrarian, you can try and go deeper in these shorter spots. But on these big days, when you have the most talented, most consistent horses, it's a lot tougher to try and beat multiple of them in the same sequence if you're not just kind of hitting the all button and hoping. And that's like, I, I hate that hit it and hope strategy on the all button side of it. I mean, if you, if you like prices, by all means, include them in these type of races. But you can't go four deep and play the top four choices, things like that. It's, it's going to cost you money in the long run. Uh, as Joey, I agree. Well said. 
Um, <laughs> Steve Williams says Flightline's going to rule this summer. If ruling this summer means winning a grade one and then retiring into obscurity, yes, Flightline is going to rule this summer. I don't wish that on him. I mean, what drives me crazy, and, and you, Mike, and, and a lot of us about Flightline is that he's so talented. You want to see that brilliance. And he's had three career starts so far. Like, this is, this is career start number four. And the first three, all brilliant. And yeah. is he possibly the best horse in training in the world? Yes, that is possible. I'm playing against him, and it's not even the ship angle here. It's not uh, Joey. I kind of said like every situation is different. So um, if that and Mike, I don't think you were saying that specifically to me, but that is an angle people still say is, "Oh, Sadler can't win outside of California." Every horse is different, and all reports from the track side, from independent sources, not you know, not asking John Sadler himself. Uh, Flightline seems to be very comfortable. Seems to be settled in fine. Here is why I'm going to take it. Two, well, a couple reasons. Number one, I'm going to be contrarian. I think that this is the most singled horse of the entire day, and for good reason. I think for that reason, if you can beat him here, this is going to pay expert. But I legitimately do have Speaker's Corner as my top. If you buy the guy, Speaker's Corner is my top pick there. For one, it's a class play. Look at who these horses have been facing. You have Speaker's Corner, who uh, Fearless ran away from him, literally Fearless ran away from because he couldn't stand being beaten by him twice. Uh, fearless, you love in the Brooklyn Stakes. Uh, he beats reinvestment risk very handily in the Carter Handicap, so he gets his grade one win. This horse has done absolutely nothing wrong at one turn. And you talked about how Flightline is the faster horse and Speaker's Corner can't go with him. You know, based off of the time form early pace ratings, that's true. I'm about to kill my dogs here. One second. There we go. Make sure I muted at that time. Sorry, did you want to say something quick? No, go for it. Okay. Um, they usually respond real quick to that. Shut up, y'all. Uh, if you look back at Speaker's Corner's uh, career way early, back when Saratoga Slim thought this horse was going to be the monster he's become, when he broke his maiden at Belmont uh, back in October 2020, that was like the key race of all key races for that whole Triple Crown season, right? Cattle River was second. Greatest Honor was third. Miles D was fourth. Burbonic was in that race, and he ended up winning the stupid Wood Memorial that year. Like That was a huge race that he won not having to go set the pace. He was able to set off. Now, Different scenario, flight line is a completely different animal. I think Speaker's Corner is quick enough that he needs to. He can sit with flight line. My concern with flight line, he's never broken from the rail, and two of his three starts, he has had poor starts. They have not been good. He's been slow out of the gate. He's been knocked around, and when you're slow and you have a chance to get knocked around a little bit and you're breaking from the rail, that's not a good thing. The one time he didn't have a quote-unquote bad start or poor start, uh, that's not in there, that Del Mar race, it's because he drew the far outside post, and the second he broke out, he was two paths outside. This horse doesn't break well from the gate, and I'm trying to take a shot. I, I realize I'm making, I'm reaching for things here. You probably, you might think I'm crazy here, but he's three to five. He is the most singled horse of the entire day. Speaker's Corner is all class. You look at who he's beat versus who Flightline has beaten. I mean, Baby Yoda was second in the Malibu Stakes, Baby Yoda's next two uh, races after, well, he's okay. So we got second in the Pelican Stakes. He had to go win starter allowance races at Keeneland and Churchill Downs after that. He didn't go to grade one races or even graded stakes races. Stiletto Boy, Stiletto Boy beat three other horses in the Californian and was fourth of five in the gold, grade one gold cup. He was total dog shit in that. Triple tap, he's not good. Timeless bounty, he's not good. Dr. Scheivel, boy, I really hope he comes back, but we haven't seen him yet. So uh, a lot of concerns with who Flightline has faced. I know he's dusted them by a lot. Speaker's Corner has been all class. He's beaten solid horses. He's in form. I know he can handle Belmont. And Flightline's probably going to win by 15. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would argue he has not beaten that 
solid of horses. I mean, Fearless is not that great. I mean, he's not. Like, Mind Control is, you know. Grade one winner? Yes, I know Mind Control is a grade one winner. But it's like, I'm not going to sit there and look at who Speaker's Corner is beaten and be like, this is just a murderer's row of horses. Yes, they're better than Flightline because, you know what, you can only beat who's in the gate against you. Right. It's true. If I like it's just it's just a fact, right? You can only beat who you're playing against. And flight line, way better than the horses you've been playing against. Um, the breaking thing, I get that. That's an issue. And honestly, I understand the contrarian side of this of saying, hey, I'm gonna take the eight to five shot. I agree with you, flight line is the most single horse. I also think Flightline wins this race like 80% of the time. Um, and so I think he deserves to be the most single horse in this spot. Uh I think if you're trying to play this race, you gotta pick between the two, or you gotta I mean you gotta pick flight line or speaker's corner. You can't play them both. If you want to play a second horse, it should be Aloha West or Happy Saber. You can play either of them, depending on who you like more. Um, if you want to go too deep in this spot, I would not go in more than too deep in this spot pretty much mm-hmm. ever. Um, I do think it's a little interesting if you want to try and throw Speaker's Corner or Flightline out of the exactor or the trifecta. I mean, you brought up a case where if Flightline doesn't break, Speaker's Corner gets the lead. All of a sudden, Flightline's getting get dirt kicked in his face because Alvarado can cross over on Pratt. You could see an exacta which doesn't include Flightline then, and that's going to pay a lot. I mean, so if you if you want to take a if you want to take a shot in this race, to me the way to do it is you pick one or the other, and you put the three and the four underneath it, right? And you say, hey, I hope that either Speaker Corner or Flightline, whichever one, has to do something new, gets kicked back, is not going to make the lead, quits out of it, and you get a price underneath, or they cook each other up front, and one of them keeps going, Flightline. And the other one stops, and you get Happy Saver and Aloha West, who are both closers, able to kind of run into the exotics. Here's a good question. I'll pose it as a question from Chris in the chat. If Flightline doesn't win, he's last. Same for Speaker's Corner. Do you think it, it sounds like you think that's where it's a case of where one goes and keeps going, and the other goes and <laughs> stops? Um, I, I could see I, Flightline quitting. I don't think I could see Speaker's Corner quitting. I think whoever makes the lead, the other one is likely to quit. Um, and I think Flightline makes the lead. And that would make me more likely to feel like Speaker's Corner is going to end up quitting off it if I was guessing between the two. Look, I think it's really likely they run one-two, literally one-two the entire way around the track. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's Flightline gets the lead, Speaker's Corner can't get by. Like, I, I think that's probably your most likely scenario. It's not exactly rocket science. It's going to be the shortest price. It, the, the question is, if Speaker's Corner tries to go 22-44 with Flightline, Flightline can keep going. Can Speaker's Corner keep going, right? And, and if not, that's where I think you see the difference. I, I, if Flightline doesn't make the lead, it doesn't break, and then is behind Speaker's Corner, all bets are off the table. Then you can see Flightline running out of it. But I, I think the most likely thing you're going to see, especially in a five-horse field, is Flightline goes, Speaker's Corner goes, and if they go 22-44, I think Flightline can keep going, and I'm not so sure Speaker's Corner can. And, and I think you summed it up very well. My whole basis for beating Flightline for how he loses is he doesn't break well. If he doesn't break well and, and Speaker's Corner crosses over, that's what I'm going with. But, hey, the opinions are strong, and we love it. Uh, Davey says, hammer Latruska, hammer uh, Flightline, don't overthink it. <laughs> right after I had that long speech, don't overthink it. Um, Kevin, uh, I want to give Kevin a shout out. He says, "Call me crazy, but I'm singing Aloha West." That is ballsy. Uh, the Breeders' Cup Sprint winner. Uh, if things fall apart, we know that's how he won the Breeders' Cup Sprint. He'll be charging in that Belmont stretch. So, um, if they do quit on that, and John says his best bet of the day, Happy Saver. Uh, Happy Saver to hit the board in this race feels like a very solid bet, right? I wouldn't be shocked if there's a lot of people that just play three, four in the multi-race bets here, and just say, you know what? 
I want I want Flightline and Speaker's Corner to just go. And, and Aloha West, we saw him pick up a pace meltdown. Happy Saver cutting back in distance should be running late. Uh, and those two should be going to should run the fastest final quarter of a mile. They definitely won't be the fastest first quarter of a mile, but definitely the fastest final quarter of a mile. It's going to be how much ground do they me- need to make up and how in do or how badly do Speaker's Corner and Flightline stop. Let's move on. The fourth leg of the Belmont Stakes. Pick five. Race 10 is the grade one Manhattan Stakes. And by the way, if you want a full race preview of this, Dr. Miranda did it, and it's up on the YouTube channel right now, racingdudes.com and uh, youtube.com slash racingdudes. Go check that out. But for our purposes, Mike, we've got 10 horses going a mile and a quarter on the inner turf course. And this is an exciting race. And always a fun one right before the Belmont Uh Price galore, it seems like in here. You've got to go forward three to one, but then Chad Brown trying to win his fourth straight, eighth overall, has four horses here. I'm not using any of them. I'm really not. What? Yeah, I'm only going three deep, and there ain't no Chad Browns. I don't think. I think this is the year Chad Brown, uh, like we saw happen several years ago. He won three in a row, and then he lost a couple. So uh, we'll see if that happens. Where are you going on top? I am probably doing the craziest thing. I'm using three of the four Chad Browns. I'm not using the shortest price. Um, I am putting Santine on top here. I'm going to use. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the nine horse Santine uh, out of the Walsh Barn for Gaffleon. I was really impressed with this horse. Look, I love this horse two back. I think it was twelve to one morning line. It went off as the two to one favorite and it ends up running yep. second. <laughs> um, a goofy second at that. Uh, played him back in the in, in the Turf Classic at Churchill, and I, I was really happy to see that nice improvement. Took a good step forward, third off the layoff, uh, battled down the lane with Miramichi, just kind of couldn't get by Santine. But the main reason I like Santine in this spot, there's not a ton of pace, right? Trapuvin is probably going to go to the lead. Santine's probably going to sit right behind. I think Santine has a very good shot of winning the race coming from that right behind spot, that second spot. And that you let Trevuvin kind of go out there, set the pace. I'm going to use Trevuvin because, look, I do think this the seven is going to be in the lead. And it feels like at least once a year you see these mile and a half, mile and three eighths, mile and three sixteenths races in New York get wired by a Chad Brown horse that probably shouldn't have wired them. Well, uh, what is it? La Imperator just did that, right? Yeah. I, and so I think you're going to see that from Trevuvin, who's clearly the fastest of the Browns, should get the lead, set the pace. I think Santine is a very classy horse who's improving, taking steps forward in the four-year-old season, and should sit the perfect trip here. So I'm going to put the nine on top. Um, but I, I, I'm going to spread a little bit and try and catch some prices here because I'm not going to use Gufo at all. I'm not going to use Hamo at all. I think they're both going to be heavily bet in this race. This is uh, a race where I think you can go a lot of different ways. You can make a lot of cases for horses. Uh, I am uh, with you on team. I am not using Gufo. I hate that horse. I, and I don't hate him, hate him. But I've never been a fan, a big fan of Gufo. I think that uh, that big win that he had in the grade one sword dancer was overrated based on of who he beat and what they did moving forward. Uh, Rock Emperor was in that race. And Rock Emperor won the Turf Classic. And Rock Emperor is not a good horse. And Rock Emperor beat Gufo in the Turf Classic. Like that's, there's a lot of reasons that I don't like Gufo. Uh, here, but Santine, my second choice. I'm with you. I think you. Uh, we talked about him. I think his last three races now. Yeah, this is the fourth, actually fifth, because I know we talked about the Hollywood Derby. We've talked about Santine for five straight races now in his career. God bless him. That's awesome. Um, I, I think he's just a very honest. You can trust of anyone in this field, right? You feel like you can trust this horse to be right there at the top of the stretch and keep on going. My top pick is just his outside. I'm going with the old man. I'm rolling with Channel Maker on top. I love Channel Maker in this race. Uh, Channel Maker, I talked about it before. Uh, this went overseas last year with him to try uh, Saudi Arabia and to try Dubai. 
And not only did that not turn into wins, but he was just not himself when he came back. You look at his form was just all over the place. Didn't seem to run well. By all indications, he's seven years old. You would have thought, all right, let's retire him. Despite the fact that they sent him to the Breeders' Cup turf, they still had enough uh, faith in him there, and he ran a decent fifth. They just still bring him back at age eight, and they give him the time off, and they send him to Keeneland. They don't send him to some wishy-washy spot to try and get an easy stakes win. They send him to Keeneland, and they say, go to the Elkhorn, go a mile and a half in your first race in, in four months, five months, and he ends up winning, and he doesn't win gate to wire, which is what Channel Maker was kind of known for later in his career was winning these races gate to wire with slow paces. It's a pace that I think you're probably going to see about those fractions here going a mile and a quarter. He's got three wins at Belmont. Sure, he doesn't have any wins at this distance, which is kind of crazy. He's 0 for 5 with just one second. But that effort, and the Elkhorn specifically, not only made me think that he's back, I think that he has a legitimate chance to win this. Luis Saez thinks he's got a chance to win it, and the Bill Mott barn thinks he has a chance to do it. I, I love Channel Maker here. Yeah, that Elkhorn was a bad race. I mean, another mystery ran second. Bama Boy ran third. Or Bama Boy or Bama Boy, whatever, ran third. It was not a good race. I was there at Keeneland that day. Like, that was the contest day for Great One Gamble. That that deserved to be like an overnight stakes. That's how bad that field was. I'm not going to give him very much credit for being able to beat that field, especially when he absolutely tripped out and was able to sit right behind a trash pace horse and be able to make the move and, and get the job done. So, like, yeah. Whoa, he's, he's, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you just call two Emmys a trash racehorse? Grade a one winner, two race. Emmys, who, by the way, we both used the Muniz Memorial Classic, the grade two, two, a race before the Elkhorn that he lost. Get out of here with trash. Get trash out of I'm about to mute you on your own show. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, like, your argument is that two Emmys is the reason that that was a good race, though. But who, there was no one else in that race. Who the hell is in this race? Well, no, th- th- there's no Rock. domestic spending. There's no bricks and mortar. There's nobody good from Europe. Who the hell is in this race? It's Santine. It's seven to two is a legitimate chance to win this race. And I mean, sure, he's good. But if a legitimate horse from Europe was here, terrible. Yeah. So Santine's significantly better than, than Channel Maker. And Rock Emperor and Gufo, he's O for life on the, with, against those two horses, which are both in here. OK. And you're not using one of them, but you're using Channel Maker. And no, no thanks. No interest in Channel Maker at all. Mm-mm-mm. He needs to get bad fields to be able to win. And he didn't. That was the problem last year. He was running against better horses. Not that he came back from overseas. <laughs> Sorry. Don't like Channel Maker. Uh, he, he faced bricks and mortar like every time in 2019, I think. I'm going to use Tribuven. I mentioned that. I, I think he's going to go to the lead. I, I'm hoping that he can kind of find that United Nations Manhattan type. Uh, race where he is able to stay, stay up close to the front and then hopefully run well down the stretch. But I don't think they're going to go very fast. I think this is clearly your pace horse. You're getting second off a layoff. I would expect him to run significantly better than what we saw in the Turf Classic. I'm also going to use Rock Emperor right to his inside. Uh, Rock Emperor has races that win this. And you're getting the right price on Rock Emperor. And that's the key. He is good enough to beat this field. And you're getting that 10 to one number that, that like if rock emperor sitting there at three to one, he's not on my ticket, but you give me the 10 to one number on rock emperor. I'm interested. I think he's good enough to win. I like the fact that I picks up the mount. I expect him to be running the Brown. I kind of like the most though is on the rail at 15 to one <laughs> emperor. I don't even know how to pronounce the source's name, but look, this is a five-year-old. We're getting second off the layoff. The horse ran very well last year at Saratoga. Ran well at Belmont, ran well throughout that entire place. But that last race, first as a five-year-old, shows up huge. And now, I realize we went gate to wire. 
but that's not his style. He's not going to be on the lead. He's going to sit on the rail, save all the ground. I think you're going to see a monster race back and an improvement off that last race puts him right there with numbers from Gufo, right there with numbers from Satine, right there with numbers from Rock Ember, Trevuvin, Channel Maker at their best. So if he improves at all, you're getting 15 to 1 on a horse that makes a ton of sense here. So I think you have to include the rail horse here, La Emperator, uh, Lumperator. What's how you pronounce this horse's name? Limperator. Limperator. There it is. That I never would have gotten that. Limperator, I think makes a ton of sense here at 15 to 1. To me, this is a race where you're trying to spread and find prices. I'm going to go with uh, yeah, that horse on the rail. <laughs> I just, call, just call him Limpy. That's what I would call him. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to use him. Uh, I, to me, the, the Fort Marcy is a complete chuck of a race. Um, previous races, anytime he faced greatest stakes company, he didn't do very well. Um, and when you're, you're a Chad Brown horse, then that's, you know, the, but that kind of a breeding and you're not showing up, you're consistently not showing up in graded stakes races. I felt like that was the flyer. The flyer. You're getting 15 to 1 on him here. You know, a little surprised about that uh, initially, but then you kind of see who else is here. Um, not going to use him. We need to talk about the other horse that we agree on in here. It's a long shot at 15 to 1. The five horse in love. Let's go, baby. I love this horse. Uh, I'll start off first and throw it to you. Paulo Lobo, you remember this, was extremely high on this horse going into the, the Maker's Mark mile. So high on this horse that he had in love and Ivar, who's also a grade one winner going to mile at Keeneland. He had both of those horses in the race and was like, you know what, Ivar, you're going to sit this out because in love is going to go out there and win. Didn't go according to plan. He kind of looked like he'd been off for five months. But I think this horse, second off of the layoff, Lobo sending him to this spot tells me this horse is really good and he really just probably needed the time. First off, the horses that he faced in the Maker's Mark mile, uh, that's a murderer's row. Smooth like straight. Mason came back to win. Uh, count again, set piece, both uh, returned to win. The fact that this horse was eight, last of eight, I do not care about that. Um, Let's look at his breeding, though, because if you look at his page, like he's only gone a mile and an eighth once in America. He didn't really seem to do that well in Argentina when he was trying to go long. His sire, Agnes Gold, a solid mile and a quarter, mile and an eighth turf router. Uh, by the way, son of a grandson of Sunday Silence. Mike, is that a good is that a good distance, sire? Like turf, dirt, is, is Sunday Silence good? Do you know? He's okay. I think his bloodline's done pretty well in Japan, too. Uh, the damn sire, no heights, was 10 for 17 lifetime, mostly going about a mile and a, a, mile and a half, mile and a quarter on turf. And In Love has one older sibling who won a grade one in Brazil, going a mile and eighth, missed a grade one, going a mile and a quarter by a half a length. So the point is, the breeding says that distance should not be an issue here. Paulo Lobo sending him here tells me that this horse is he's going to be able to run a big one, at least outrun his 15 to 1 odds, right? Oh, yeah. I think you made a great point about, you know, the, the distance concerns really shouldn't be there. He should be able to go longer. I like the fact that Lobo has the one race in him and comes here and aggressively places the horse even after that effort. You mentioned how tough that race was. We've also talked a lot about the pace, how there's just not that much here. When you look at that one race at a mile and an eighth, he was only a neck back a lot of that race. In Love could be a lot closer than his main rivals and has just as big of a kick as horses like Gufo and things like that. So if he gets the distance... He's going to have a very good trip here. He should be right with Satine sitting in that second spot, and he should get the rail there. So I think In Love is going to get the pocket trip behind Trapuvin with Satine's outside, and he's got kick. If he's good enough at this distance, that's the big question, right? Is the mile and a quarter going to hurt him? If he can get the mile and a quarter, 15 to 1 is a monster number on a horse that should be closer to 5 to 1 or 6 to 1 based on accomplishments and how this race sets up. Well, remember, In Love wins the Keeneland Turf Mile. 
uh, a grade one race at 12 to one. And people are like, whoa, Lobo's being aggressive. No, he won that 12 to one. Ivar won at like 18, 20 to one the year before. Lobo does this. He sit, He is very crafty with these horses. He's 16% this year. He knows what he's doing. And uh, this barn that keeps sending him these grade one horses, they trust him to do what's right. So I, I think in love is a great one. Did we, uh, we've hit all three of mine. Did we miss any of yours? Nope, nope. We have covered all five. I'm going one, five, six, seven, nine. And real quick, uh, Timmy, they do weight allowances uh, in some of these races for horses that have not won a stakes race. So the one and the four both carrying 118. They have not won a stakes race. That's why you have those weight allowances. So this actually is technically a handicap still. It should be an H there instead of an S. It's very rare that handicaps still exist, but this is exactly what you see here is the uh, – the waiting. One note, I, something I learned right before we went on air. Uh, Christian DeMuro is not going to be in America because he's at Royal Ascot. Jose Ortiz picking up the mount on the three Tokyo Gold. So uh, if you like the three, you're now getting a very experienced, talented jockey uh, picking him up. Does that move the needle for you at all, Jose Ortiz picking that up? Uh, I mean, no. I, I think Tokyo Gold is a little interesting. I don't think you're getting 30 to 1. Uh, this is another horse that's got a ton of buzz around. Especially people not now. Their best long shot. Um, yeah. You know, I think that I wasn't as impressed with Bolshoi Ballet and everyone that came out of that race. And that's the race you got to point to. If you look at the time form numbers, you had a little bit of a step up into the four-year-old season. This is second off a layoff as a four-year-old. So I, I could see some improvement happening, but there wasn't a big jump. Um, so I, I just, I, I think that there are other horses that I would rather play in this spot than Tokyo Gold. I understand why people are interested in 31, though. I just don't think it's going to be 31 on race day. Chris is a very surprise. No Highland Chief. Uh, to me, that race was kind of a paper tiger a little bit. Yeah, I mean, look, if I'm not – Yabir didn't break and then was goofy the whole entire race, right? And almost won. And somehow got a, a four-wide trip in a five-horse race. Um, Ahan or Ahan or the horse who set the pace sucks and just quit off it. And Highland Chief got to walk right behind him and just was able to hold off Gufo, who – didn't fire fully. I mean, it was just a weird race to me. And the number comes back huge, which I don't necessarily agree with. I don't think that's an actual number. And so, like, if, if I didn't have him at 20 to 1 in a five-horse field, and now I got to swallow 6 to 1 in a 10-horse field where it's a completely different setup, I mean, we're going to talk about a wedding funeral scenario in the next race. This is another wedding funeral scenario where, like, I didn't attend the wedding. I don't feel like going to the funeral. I'm, I'm not going to see this. I'm not going to have money on this horse when he doesn't win on Saturday. No, and I didn't have much fun at the wedding and think it was a very good-looking bride to begin with. So I uh, totally <laughs> agree with that. Like, let's move on. The fifth and final leg of the Belmont Stakes pick five, uh, race 11. It's the Belmont Stakes itself, a grade one race, mile and a half, eight horses. I can't say Colts. Uh, you got seven Colts and the Philly Nest in here going a mile and a half. On the dirt, we the people is the two to one morning line favorite. Mo Donegal, the six horses, the five to two second choice. Who you got? Well, um, I'm surprised at this actually. I'm going to single Mo Donegal here. I, I like this. Like the one concern I have here is the setup. We the people obviously going to be up front, but I'm a little concerned about we the people specifically around the distance. <clears throat> I'm sure you're going to tell us a little bit more about why I should not be as concerned about that. But what I go back to is I look at the wood and the way that early voting was able to get that early lead and Modan was able to run him down, I think is very similar to what we're going to see here. I think we, the people is going to get the lead early, going to set the pace. I think Ness is actually going to press, which I think is something that's going to be interesting, not necessarily as expected, but I think Ness is going to press. Skippy Longstocking actually has some speed as well, not necessarily we, the people speed. And I think Modan is going to be a little bit closer to the pace because of the distance, because of the slower pace. 
And look, Bone Donegal wants every bit of this mile and a half. This horse has been set up for this race every way. You go back, his derby was was pretty good. He's prepping for this race. Skip the Preakness. I think Modonigal's the best horse in this race. I actually bet Modonigal at plus 300 when I could find him in a fixed odds market because I don't think you're getting three to one on race day. Right now, you can find 250s, 275s. I think he should be the favorite. I think Modonigal should be eight to five, nine to five in this spot. I think you're getting some value right now here, even at five to two. Yeah, I'm, uh, I remain surprised that we the people is favored. I really did think that Modonigal was going to be the favorite in this race uh, based uh, largely on the overseas market was saying that and that Rich Strike would be a lot closer to them than this. But, hey, listen, Dave Aragona is not a bad morning line odds, at least not in my experience. So um, we the people does have that form. Listen, I'm not going to knock anybody for picking Modonigal here. Uh, I think that this horse has a very strong chance to do it. But you got to take some stands. And we the people has been my top pick since the uh, – actually, since probably the time that he won the Peter Pan Stakes. I love the way he looked. And then when Epicenter lost the Preakness and I knew for sure he wasn't coming to the Belmont, I was like, well, I can't pick him for a third straight race. So we'll move over to the we the people. Uh, first of all, I – you know, likely lone speed. You can argue about if, you know, if someone's going to press him or not. Nest might, but I don't see too much other pressing speed here. And I've seen people compare when they make the case for O'Donagall, they say, well, look at the Wood Memorial. He caught early voting and early voting won the Preakness Stakes next. That's true. Early voting was also making his third career start. Early voting hadn't been seen in two months. Modonigal was in form. Modonigal was not coming off of a layoff. Uh, Modonigal had, and we said this on the reaction video, you can go back and watch it, he had a perfectly timed ground-saving ride from Joel Rosario, who's not on this horse, uh, that got the horse literally at the wire to win the Wood Memorial. And, again, early voting, long break, third career start. We the people, he's in form. He's exiting a career-best effort over this track. I mean, his fifth career start. I did a video where I compared We the People and Tonalist, how the two of them have been, uh, their, their rise to this point is very comparable. And Tonalist ended up winning the 2014 Belmont Stakes. Uh, we the People, slightly different. He is a more forwardly placed than Tonalist tends to be, tended to be. But uh, the way that their careers kind of grew and, and led to this being their fifth career start after winning the Peter Pan is good. Also, there's a rumor. Flavian Pratt, pretty you know, even-keeled guy, was not happy. Uh, Memorial Day, when Irad Ortiz Jr. showed up and at San Anita Park and <laughs> beat the shit out of Flavian Pratt on those grade one races. He was not a happy camper about that, Mike. Um, Flavian Pratt doesn't usually need much to get motivated. I've heard that he's kind of been targeting this day, this festival, to try and get back at Irad. So you got We the People with Flavian Pratt. You've got Modonigal with Irad. I think if we get a really great showdown, it's going to be great. I don't understand the distance questions about We the People. I honestly don't. Five of the last eight Belmont winners were either sons or grandsons of Tappet. He's a grandson of Tappet. He's also a grandson of Tisnow, the only horse to win the Breeders' Cup Classic at a mile and a quarter twice. So you're getting mile and a quarter pedigree from the damn sire. You're getting Tappet from the sire and Constitution, who was a sire of Tis the Law. Constitution won the race that was it's now known as the Pegasus World Cup. It was the Don Handicap back then. I, I honestly, truly don't understand the distance questions with We the People. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. Constitution doesn't scream a mile and a half to me. I get the grandson of Tappet side of it, and it's just we haven't seen a ton of constitutions go a mile and a half because Constitution's a newer sire. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I understand your your grandson argument. For me, it's just uh, I, when I see him go, and it's tough because he romped in the Peter Pan, but he 
didn't beat anybody in the Peter Pan. Like, you, if you're going to knock Flightline for not beating anybody, let's talk a little bit about that Peter Pan field, okay? Hey, at least Golden Glider uh, showed up to get his ass beat again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so He's it's a like... He's for punishment, that Golden Glider. Yeah, he is. He loves getting last. Uh, well, he got second in that race, so that actually makes it even worse. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I just... I, I think Mo is better bred for the mile and a half. It's probably the better way to put it. I, I have we the people in second in this race in the guide, so I, I don't think that we people are just going to quit completely out of it. Mo Donegal's race, going one the wood, going 147 and four, was first off a layoff. That race was faster than we the people's Peter Pan, right? If Mo Donegal takes to this, he is the better horse in my mind. The question is whether or not, how loose is we the people? Mm-hmm. How slow can he go and how far back is Mo Donegal? There's not that many horses in this race. It's not going to be that hard to get a good trip in this spot, especially if you're able to sit yourself toward the rail, middle of the pack. You don't have a ton of speed to run into, but you can make a move. Belmont has a very long stretch. This race just feels like it's built for a horse like Mo Donald to be able to come up and take out We the People. I get your stance on We the People, I do. I don't get your stance on the other horse you're using. So go ahead and tell me about why you're going to make Shoddy the happiest person in the chat right now. Shoddy, let's, let's start the counter. We'll go one. Two, she's gonna explode. I'm using Barbara Road, Shotty. Three, unbelievable. Okay, no, I really am. Barbara Road. If you buy the guide, Barbara Road is my number two horse listed in this race. I'm not kidding. Uh, first of all, think of this guy as the poor man's Mo Donegal. You like Mo Donegal, but you have to pay a, a really short price on him. You're getting Barbara Road at ten to one, baby. There she is. See, I knew we were together. Uh, I, I think those. I think she spazzed out. Those. That's not even a real word there. Uh, here's the thing, Barbara Road. You cannot deny, like Mo Donegal. Johnny Tryhard, always going to give you a strong effort. He's the poor man's Modonical because Modonical has won races, uh, you know, in the stakes stakes level. Barbara Road, he's going to get there. Um, If you go back and watch the Kentucky Derby, a lot of talk about how Modonical, if he got a strikes trip for the Derby, maybe Modonical wins or is is right there. Uh, Barbara Road was last and moved at the exact same time Rich Strike did, but like Modonical, went to the outside instead of the inside. He was even wider than White Abario. Like, you remember how wide White Abario was off the turn? There was one horse outside him. That was Barber Road. Uh, he was grabbing popcorn from the stands. He was high-fiving Rich Strike's groom when he was just losing his mind in the late in the stretch there. He was saying, good job, buddy. Yeah, you got this horse there. Um, if he gets that inside trip in the derby, you know, I'm not saying he's winning, but I think you can definitely say he's going to be closer and was gaining and was fighting and always, again, that Johnny Tryhard angle. But... You also have to think about the fact that he's getting a jockey upgrade to Joel Mother Effing Rosario. How is that not a huge key for this horse? Uh, Rosario's won this race twice. And you have to think Rosario, he's out to kind of make up for the fact that he screwed up the Preakness. Everybody in the world knows he's the re- a big reason why Epicenter lost the Preakness. Rosario's got that in his mind. He's got to make amends here with Barbara Road. There's no pressure on him when you're on a 10-to-1 shot like this. Uh, John Ortiz is removing the blinkers for this horse. I think that's an interesting move because it could theoretically make this horse be more forwardly placed. So he's not trying to win the Belmont from 20 lengths back. Let's talk about John Ortiz too. If you want to go for the fairy tale angle, because I know there are some people that look for that. What's the rich strike 80 to one kind of Cinderella story. John Ortiz is literally the local boy hero. If he wins this, he grew up on the Belmont track backside. His dad galloped horses for Bill Mott. John Ortiz's first experiences working with horses were for Bill Mott. Graduated from the local high school in Elmont, New York. John Ortiz has never won a grade one. He's never won a grade of stakes at Belmont Park. He's having the best year of his career by far. He now brings this horse to his home track, to his hometown, 
trying to win a grade one race for this big triple crown effort. And again, I want to remind you, five of the last eight Belmont winners, sons or grandsons of Tappet. He's a son of race day, a son of Tappet. Distance, no problem. Heart, no problem. Rosario, no problem. Yeah, you, you've skipped the one big problem. He's slow. He's a slow horse. He's not fast. You, I mean, I'm sorry, but he lost to Newgrange and Dash Attack and Unoho. Like, he's, he's not good. That's the biggest problem with Barbara Rook. He's not good enough to win these races. Counterpoint, this crop, not that good. You can have a rich strike win the Kentucky Derby at 80-1 to 1 when nobody knew he was in the field until the morning okay. before the race. Let's talk a little about rich strike in the Kentucky Derby because I think we, that's an important thing that we need to talk about. Segway. Yeah. So, if, well done. Uh, so, they went 45 seconds the opening half mile. I'm not sure if you knew that about that Kentucky Derby. It was the fastest half mile opening pace in the Kentucky Derby history. That's why Rich Strike won, okay? Like, it, it, the way the race was set up played out perfectly for a long shot. And if 20 horse feel, first off, you have higher variance than a normal horse race. Secondly, when they go 45 seconds up front, you have significantly higher variance. More funky stuff can happen. 80 to 1, great story. Awesome by Rich Strike. The problem is he's now 7 to 2. That's the big issue with Rich Strike. It's not a talent thing. It's not, hey, he's really good, really bad. There is no value in Rich Strike at 7 to 2. If you take away the biggest variance data point on the page, which would be the Kentucky Derby, his highest buyer on dirt is 64. 64, okay? And that was also at Churchill Downs where he won his other dirt race. So you can have a Churchill Downs angle too if you want to go after that. The, the idea that he's going to be able to easily replicate that to me is wild. Like, could he do it? Of course. Of course it's possible. But it's like a 20 to 1 shot. 40 to one shot for it to happen. And you're getting four to one, three to one, seven to two. That's the issue I have with wrist strike. And that's kind of what I was, I did the capsule for us. I said, wrist strike's not going to hit the board. I'm not going to play wrist strike to hit the board. I'm not going to use him in any multi-race stuff. His value is just so wildly low because of what happened in the Derby. And because all of the hype that's kind of been built around him since then. The thing is that like, Everything is. He's working out great. He's doing awesome. You never hear about the Derby winner doing terrible coming out of the race, right? So the hype to me is a little bit blown up, and the value is just not there. Like this is one of those spots where, like, if you like Rich Strike, root for him, and by all means, if you want to bet him, bet him. But if you bet Rich Strike a hundred times in this race, you're going to lose money over those hundred races if you're getting three to one on. Dennis, uh, this is a topic we've talked about uh, because of the prickness. You did a great video, Mike. Dennis says, I think Rich Strike could actually be favorite because public money, stupid money, Fenwick and Happy Jack and the Preakness. I'm not going to call the public stupid. Uh, you know, they, they got lucky with Rich Strike, and, and we, they were smarter than us that day, so I'm not going to call them stupid. But uh, to that point, to Dennis's point, Mike, you could still see that Rich Strike money, people who, you know, hey, we bet Rich Strike in the Derby, and eat, you know, maybe you bet the Preakness, maybe you didn't. You still got a lot of money left over. You're going to throw it on him here, right, in the Belmont. You, if you're going to bet the Belmont and you bet Rich Strike in the Derby, you got to bet him in the Belmont. I would think that you're going to see. I don't. I, I think that he gets bet down from that seven to two number. I think you're going to see close to three to one. I think. I, I think the the morning line is pretty accurate. I think Mo Donegal ends up going off around two to one. I think we the people's five to two. I think that Rich strikes around three to one. Um, but I do think you're going to see a lot of that money come back because you know what's throwing. Let's say you bet ten bucks on at eighty to one. Why not throw fifty on him this time? Like he's still way ahead from from that that previous race. So. I wouldn't be shocked if you do see quite a bit of money come in for Rich Strike and people to take him. And again, I think cool story, like not knocking the horse, not saying the horse is a, a complete donkey or anything like that. 
It's just for me, it's a value problem here. And yeah, of course, there are examples um, where a horse like at a big price comes back and wins. And, and you know, Conagher is one of those examples who almost set the track record. I believe it was at Churchill last weekend. Um, but that's not the norm. That's the exception. And that's the big thing is that, that generally it's very hard to replicate that. And this is one of those spots where you have seven data points saying that rich strike is not good. And you have one data point, which was the highest variance data point, saying that he is good. I'm going to trust the seven data points versus the one. Uh, I looked up an overseas book to see where things are trending. And we, the people, Mo Donegal, both five to two, rich strike four to one. Uh, so they're thinking that that's where those are going to line up. And I saw someone mentioning uh, uh, we the people's odds. The, the goal isn't to try and say this is what we think the right value is for the horse. The Morning Lodge is trying to guess, here's what we think the public is going to ultimately make the odds when they go off. So you might think two to one is crazy, but the odds maker is telling you the public is probably going to have these odds this way. I don't, I don't see too many swings coming out of this one. So uh, Belmont Stakes, I am taking a big swing with uh, Barber Road and We the People as my top pick here. Mike is riding the Mo Donegal train, but it's going to be an exciting race for the Belmont Stakes, Mike. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. And just because I know a lot of people want to talk Belmont and are going to be betting this race, I think Skippy Longstocking is interesting at a price. Uh, if you go back and if you watch the Preakness, Skippy Longstocking stuck wide on the first turn, wide on the second turn, ends up running a decent fifth. I think Skippy Longstocking is going to get a very good trip right behind We the People. Um, and I think you're going to see a, a solid effort. And I think he can get the distance, which means that he could just hang around for third to 20 to one. It's a good price. And I like Creative Minister as well, um, who I think is going to be running up, running on. So I, I, I'm probably going to play a super six over one, two, five, one, two, five, one, two, five and see if we can run Rich Strike out, run Ness out, and see if we can get, get a little bit of value back in that way. Thanks so much for joining Mike and I for the Magic Mike Show covering the Belmont Stakes Pick 5. That's races 7 through 11, all grade 1s. 50 cent uh, minimum, 50 cent base, 18.5% takeout, no carryover, full pool will pay out. And uh, listen, this was a fun show. Appreciate all the comments. Mike and I had a lot of fun going back and forth with each other and with each of you. We're going to put our tickets down below so you can take a look. Uh, I'll go, go we... We'll go ahead and give out ours. Listen closely. It's a little different. I have a $1 base for mine. I'm starting off going 1, 3, 5, 8, 9, 12, 2, 5, 9, 10, and then 1, 8, and that is $30 for a dollar. Mr. Samich. I'm going to play a $2 base ticket, and I'm going to start out with 1, with 4, 5, 10, 12, 13, with 1, with 1, 5, 6, not 7, 9, with 6. That'll cost you 50 bucks for $2. And if you want to just have a little bit of fun, like maybe you're not a pick five player, you don't really do something like this. If you look, we're, this is a 50 cent base. So if you want to play Mike's ticket for 50 cent base, that's going to cost you $12.50. You want to play mine for, it's going to cost you $15. You can have a lot of fun with this sequence, pressing your opinions. And by that, we mean, you know, singling where we are. And you pay for 50 cents. If that's all you will feel like doing, there's nothing wrong with that. It's still a lot of fun. It's just for Mike and I, if you're not new, if you're new to this, we try and keep our ticket prices a certain level. So if, if we're, you know, if with the base, it's, it's coming in really small. We'll try and give it a little boost there here. Try and make it a yep, little more. Yep. And it's a lot more fun that way. Yeah. And so there's a bunch of different ways you can play this. The one thing I would say is make sure if you're playing, you know, if your normal budget for a pick five is $150, do not play a 50 cent pick five for 150 bucks. Try and Try and structure it a little differently on these type of days. You want to make sure that you're playing more of a ladder style structure where you can have that 50 cent ticket for, let's say, 60 bucks, but then spend the other $90 that you'd usually play. Play a $2 ticket, play a $5 ticket. And if your opinions are right, 
press them because this is the kind of day with these shorter fields where you need to be aggressive with how you bet to be able to be profitable. It's really hard to try and create the quote unquote caveman ticket, right? And be profitable in these days when you have a very high chance that there are going to be favorites winning in a lot of these races. So you really have to decide which horses you want to play, which ones you want to pass on. That's why, for instance, I'm singling Flightline, Magic singling Speaker's Corner, right? We're both singling Latruska. Um, so you got to kind of decide where you're going to press, where you're going to take some swings, and hopefully you can connect on them. Uh, uh, Joseph, thank you for the kind words. And I brought it up before on a different show. Joseph is one of our most frequent and favorite commenters in, in the chat. And if Skippy Longstocking, I forget where he said it, Skippy Longstocking wins the Belmont, he's taking us all out to dinner. So uh, <laughs> he, the Skippy Longstocking fan right there. If, if Skippy Longstocking wins, I promise you are going to be the first person I think about if that horse ends up winning the Belmont. So we'll, we'll have a celebration with you. Uh, listen, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a little long. We appreciate you joining us. Before you leave, if you haven't yet, please like the video. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash racing dudes. And if you missed it earlier, if you missed the, uh, the banner down below, we have a new deal now with betptc.com that if you sign up now as a new member with promo code dudes, D-U-D-E-S, you get a $200 new member bonus once you spend $750. The Belmont's coming up. This is a great time to try and use this on the Inside Track Wagering Guide to the Belmont Stakes that you can get as well. So, Mike, any final thoughts before we get out of here, buddy? Uh, they're running a match race at Belmont right now. You could either oh, get geez, one to two on the Brown Horse or four to five on Baby Blight. So it's, uh, Wait, the Brown Horse didn't go favored? The Brown Horse did, one to two. Oh, one to two. I'm sorry. Yeah, one to two is the favorite. Four to five are the two. Neither, neither of them is even money in a two-horse race. Got to love horse racing. Um, but I'm yeah, watch it's, this it's, right now while you bring this up. It's the first grass, like uh, it's the first match race on grass. Uh, I think it's since like 1980 something. You do not regularly see match races on grass. So that's going on right now at Belmont. They just completed the first quarter. Uh, really interesting scenario we talked about at the top. If you want to learn more about how that one happened, I, this is. No, this show's going to be on for another hour before this race goes. Both jockeys, are like, I see them just like holding the reins as tightly as they can. Neither one wants to use their horse. Oh, well, they went 48, which is pretty good. I mean, in these match races, you got to stay connected, right? Baby Blight usually be further back. This is The one wants to be on the lead, so it kind of fits well there. It's going to be interesting to see how it affects the kick here and who's kind of able to, to rile them up for home. This is, uh, this is a fun one. you got Pratt versus Saez. Too bad this wasn't Irad, right? You have Pratt versus Irad in a match race the Thursday before the Belmont, and uh, one of them wins because of a whip in the other. Man, the four is going to win by 20. You'd think so, right? I didn't like – when Aaron and I did this for the uh, for the pick four um, on the Magic Mike show on Monday, uh, I didn't use the Chad Brown horse. I didn't like when there were other horses besides just the four. The four looks like twice the size. Yeah, I mean, just look at the size of the horses there. Yeah. The four is a lot bigger. Yeah, Pratt's on You're the whip. <laughs> I think I just looked over and laughed. I was like, okay, see ya. <laughs> oh, I'm a little bit behind you, aren't I? I'm watching on YouTube, yeah. Yeah, see, he's shoddy, no shy guy. Anyways, listen, this went on way too long. Sorry about that. Uh, that's how the Magic Mike show goes. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. I am at Curtis Kelloward. He is at Summerbomb18, number one, number eight, corporate overlords, at racing underscore dudes. Blinkers off is out now, so you can check out the picks from Aaron and Jared. And then we will be back with the Racing Dudes Tournament Challenge on Friday, June 10th, starting at 2 p.m. Uh, Pacific, 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern. So hopefully we see you then. Until then, I'm Magic. And I'm Mike. Thanks for joining us. Good luck this week, guys. This has been a presentation of RacingDudes.com, your destination for all things horse racing and sports betting. Whether you want free winners, expert insider picks, up-to-the-minute trackside weather reports, or podcasts and videos for bettors of all skill levels, 
Never make another wager without visiting the Racing Dudes. First, 